folks, let's turn to the book of 1 John. <clears throat> I think we can rightfully call 1 John a book. Hey, you might debate 2 and 3 John. Those are, uh, those are short books. Uh, those might be the kind of books some of us like to read. As those, uh, If you told somebody that you read two books of the Bible in one day, and they would be really impressed with you. And then if you said it was first and second John, or second and third John, they might not be as impressed by it. But uh, those are both fairly short. But first John has, I believe, five chapters, and we're in the second chapter. The last time that uh, we were together, which I guess was on Wednesday night, we had been talking about uh, fellowship, and we had talked about um, <clears throat> sort of the importance of what, <clears throat> excuse me, what Christ's blood does and then how we confess our sins, and then how Jesus sort of works as an advocate for us, a messenger, a counselor. We had several different terms that we used right there. So the next thing that we're going to look at is starting in chapter 2 with verse 3. My Bible says across the top there, the test of knowing him. And I'd ask you, uh, or I had told you, I guess, to be prepared to take a test. Well, if somebody says that you have to take a test, what goes through your head? What will be on? Okay. What else? I have not studied. Okay. I don't know what's on or wonder what will be on. Am I prepared? What else maybe pops in our head when we have to take a test? I hope I pass it. I wonder how long it will take. And it kind of go along with Linda's. I hope I pass it. Leads to what other thought? What happens if I fail it, right? And so those are concerns that maybe we all have. The problem is, is a lot of times as a school teacher, I can tell you this for a fact. Those are a lot of the things that we worry about before we ever think, like, what's actually on the test? <laughs> he doesn't wonder how long are they? Will we be done? I used to, I have, a, my lunch period always falls right in the middle of the class. Like, will we be done before lunch? Like, okay, you're obviously not worried about the test. You're only thinking about eating right now. But there's all these various questions. But with a test, it is designed to determine what? What's the purpose of any kind of test? How smart you are. How smart we are, okay. How much knowledge you retain. How much knowledge you retain. We recently changed our internet provider at home. One of the things that the, when the girl came and hooked it up, she did a speed test on our internet. When she did it the first time, the speed was like three. And she said, that's not right. Okay. We failed the test, but there were some things that was wrong. So she made a couple adjustments. She clicked a few things. We took the test again. It got a whole lot bigger. Okay, That test was to determine, is this working the way it's supposed to be? Is there knowledge as being said right there? Okay, So the test that we're going to look at here today is the test of knowing him. Okay, Now, if I were to ask you, do you know and say a name of somebody who's prominent in the community. Most of you would say yes. But truly knowing that person might be a different thing, right? We may know of, but not actually know. There's people in our lives that we know of, but don't actually know. Now, let's apply that to Christ. If I were to say, do you know Jesus? How many hands would go up? Probably everyone. In fact, if I were to walk down the street and ask that, how many hands would go up? Probably everyone. 
probably most hands would go up. That would be no different than saying, do you know who the governor is or the president is or who LeBron James is, okay? I know who LeBron James is, but if I were to pass him on the street, he wouldn't say, hey, Daniel, it's good to see you. He doesn't know me. He's never seen me, okay? If we were to ask, do you know Jesus? That's a resounding yes. But if somebody wanted to dig a little deeper, Check the specifics. What would our answer be? Do we know surface Jesus? Or do we know depth of Jesus? Like, I know the surface of the governor. I know who he is. I don't know anything else. We need to make sure that our knowledge, and, and, and the, our knowledge of the governor, the president, doesn't really matter, but our knowledge of Jesus, if it's just surface, that's a problem. We've got to go a little bit deeper to it. So we're going to sort of test or look at what the Bible describes here as a test of knowing him. Okay. So we're going to look at verses three through 11 and hopefully a little bit more, but definitely verses three to 11 this morning. And do you care to read chapter two of first John verse three down through 11, please? So we're going to get into that here in just a moment. But if you'll remember the video that we watched that sort of started this, it said that 1 John was broken into two sermons. There's the light sermon and there's the love sermon. Well, what do we see in these verses that Annette just read, verses 3 through 11? What words did we see there? Light and darkness, right? Start to see a little, so he's still, you know, we think about sometimes, well, this, that was in chapter 1, this is chapter 2. Well, the, the chapters and verses were put in much later. But it's still sort of a continuing thought of what's being taught right here. And so let's go up to verse 3 and find out what is this test of knowing him. Chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that, that we know him if what? If we have love for one another, if we keep his commandments. Okay? If we keep his commandments. So now that seems like a fairly simple thing, right? If somebody goes on vacation and they say, I need you to keep this while I'm gone, that's pretty simple, right? You know, it may be, you know, I don't know what it would be, but I, I, as long as I'm holding on to it, they're fine. Okay? So just keeping something. Some of us are probably better at that than others. But if we keep his commandment, it says, 
then we know that we know him. Well, that seems fairly simple. But did we stop on verse 30? No, we actually kept going a little bit further. So which commandment would be the most important? Love? Okay. All right. So let's go back to the Gospels. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew to start with. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Bad answer, but I'm going to give you the book, chapter, and verse right here so that we know where it is. Because sometimes kids will answer the question right on the test, but they don't have a clue. They just circle B. They don't know which one, what the actual answer was. We're going to look back and say, not only do I know the answer, I'm going to show you where I'm not the answer. Ella, do you care to read Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40? So verse 35, a person comes to, the, uh, comes to them and they ask Jesus a question. Her Bible said, tempted, mine says testing, which I think, you know, kind of fits with what we've been talking about right there. Testing him and saying. And so they're going to ask Jesus this question. They say a really good question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? That's a really good question. As a school teacher, he's like, what do I, what do I really need to know? Now, there's some minor stuff. What do I really need to know? Well, if we're going to be a Christian... What do I really need to know? Well, Jesus responds in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that's a pretty clear answer. What do we, we got to have? Love. Love toward it. God. With all my heart, soul. What is a heart, a soul, and a mind? It's kind of your whole being right there. It's the entirety of you. Okay? So you should love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, your all your soul, with all your mind. But that seems like an easy answer, right? And I say that because it only makes sense that God would want you to love Him, right? So that seems like an easy... Okay, I got that. But He doesn't stop. He says, this is the first and great commandment. No periods, no stopping. Verse 39. And the second is what? Is like it, meaning what? Same thing, okay? The second is like it, what? You shall love thy neighbor as yourself. Gets tougher, right? You know, I, I'm prepared to say, I got to love God with everything. Fine, that, that, that makes perfect. That, that's the basis of religion. But love my neighbor? Why is that difficult? Should be because if you really love someone, then if someone makes something, creates something, you're going to love that because that person does make it. Right. And it's the same way with, her, with the people around us. Uh-huh. They're God's creation. God made that. We see some of which things. 
That's God. God made that. And we should love it. But it's hard to do because God never wrongs us. God never hurts us. God never does anything to us. So right. it's a lot easier to love God. Right. Which is why one verse in the Bible really kind of baffles me more than it says that if you can't love the man who you have seen, right. how can you love God who you haven't seen? Well, to me, it's a lot easier to love God who I haven't seen than right. to who I have seen. Absolutely. <laughs> On like June the twelfth. Right. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's easy to love the neighbors you know. Right. The neighbors you don't know. And who's your neighbor? Absolutely. And that and that that verse. You know, when I hear the word neighbor. I think about Tim and Sandra who live on one side of my house, and I, lo- I think about Chris and Jennifer who live on the other side. Nobody lives across from us. Like, that, that's who I think of as my neighbors. Well, I really like both of them. But you're right, Linda. It's the, it's the other folks out there that you have sort of ancillary contact with or sort of come into contact with here and there, but not always. And as Ben said right there, those people that have been created by God, check for them, but also do things that harm you, negative for them. Now, if we go back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, he says, this is Jesus talking still, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What does that mean? On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. That's what they're based on. That's what they're... If you really love, then you cannot break any of the other commandments. Because if you really love your neighbor, you're not going to steal, you're not going to cheat, you're not going to covet what it is, you're not going to hurt him. Same with God. If you really love God, you're not going to hold anything back from God. If you really love, then the other commandments just fall into place on that. Right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. So we, we can kind of think about it a little bit. So this is Jesus sort of giving the answer. So when the test was given to Jesus, he responds uh, in kind. Now, we're not going to read it, but you can turn over to Mark chapter 12, and you see almost the exact same account. It's not word for word, but it's real close. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34 uh, you see uh, sort of the same thing. And then you can also see in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, sort of a similar uh, account of what's taking place as well. Hold on. Ben, go ahead. John is always referred to, or often referred to, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, of course, Jesus loved all. But I think it's kind of obvious that him and John had a special close bond. And I think it's because John got it. John's known as the apostle or the Possible love, because that's what he preached. And I think that's why him and Jesus were so close because John actually got it. Right. Kind of clicked with them. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And this guy that asked him this was a lawyer or teacher of the law, and uh, he knew the law. Sure. He knew exactly what the Bible said, and this comes from Leviticus chapter 19. He knew what it said. I think he was just trying, who is this guy? You know, let's see what he's saying. Is he, is he here to disobey the law? Because if he says something different, then he either don't know the law or he don't care about the law. And uh, Jesus certainly did not disappoint in that regard. He knew the law, and he certainly obeyed the law more than anybody. Right. So uh, I know the test, you know, it's kind of a kind of a sure. Right. But now is that not the best kind of test? You know, when you're testing somebody, you know, we we can give that surface answer, but we want to have that 
that, that deeper answer. Right there. Let's go back to First John. We're in chapter two still. Yes, sir. You know, is there some kids in your class that just simply memorize the test and they can answer the test, but they don't know why they answer? They just know the answer is good. Sure. And they're they're right, and they get a hundred, and they move on. But then two minutes later, they don't have a bit line. Right. So that's why you talk about the deal. You need to understand the deal stuff that you know. Right. And it's easy for us to say, "I love my neighbor," but the deal of it is, what do you do to him whenever he's does something bad to you or something like that. Right. You see vengeance, are you angry, are you vindictive? You know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do what? Put up a big fence. <laughs> Verse 4 in John in First John chapter 2, and he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, is what? Book says that it's he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So it's not just a matter of, you know, I, I can be wrong. You know, and, 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 and being wrong is one, but lying about it, it seems to be much worse, right? You know, I, I know there's no such thing as, you know, ranking sins, but to be, making a mistake is something that everybody does, okay? Purposefully lying about it, saying, as we see in verse 4, I know him and does not keep the commandments, you have purposefully said, no, there's a big difference. Let's go on to verse 5. How is God's love in verse 5 perfected? In us. First four words there, right? But who are five words, but whoever keeps his word, okay? Whoever keeps his word in verse five, truly the love of God is perfected in him. What is perfect? Complete, okay? A perfect circle is what? It goes all the way around, okay? A perfect anything is complete. There's very few things that are perfect, right? Even things that are manufactured in a in a assembly line don't always come out perfect. Anybody that's got uh, automobiles or uh, appliances or anything like that knows that they're not they're not necessarily perfect. He says in verse five, "Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him." Now. <clears throat> What does that mean that the love of God would be perfected in us, would be complete in us? What is he saying right there? If you keep his word by loving, then that's going to, like we said earlier, that's going to make you fulfill the law. That's going to make you perfect in God and Jesus Jesus' love. Absolutely. Other thoughts? Well, we always talk about being Christian. We're all the people that call themselves Christians, but their 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 attitudes and their manner of life does not show that they're Christians. Because Christian means life and Christ life, and it, it, it's not complete because they hate the neighbor. Right. You know, they hate this race of people or something like that. Well, you can't call yourself a Christian. How can the love of God be complete in you if you have people that you hate? You know, the people that you wish you will to. So uh, we have to be careful. So if God's love is perfected in us, I don't know if you can see this or not, but 
This is, I want you to envision that it's a perfectly round circle. I, have not, I don't have the ability to draw a perfectly round circle. All right? But if a circle is perfect here, if you go all the way around, there's no openings. There's no room to add anything else. So if we think about God's love being perfected in us, is there any room for anything else? Is there any openings for a negative wedge to be driven in? There's not. So when we think about God's love being perfected in us, verse 5, it's whoever keeps his word. We're staying true to that word. Verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as who walked. Jesus. So if we say, this is pretty simple. This is a simple part of the test maybe as well. If I say, I abide in him, I should be doing the same things that he's doing. Now, can you and I perform miracles like Jesus did? Can we teach the way Jesus taught? No, no. I mean, we could follow his steps, but we can't be that kind. But how do we walk in the way that Jesus walked? If we know going into it that Jesus could do more than any of us, how do we approach that then? How do we walk like Jesus walked if we know that we can never be as good as what Jesus was? Make the first step. I see little kids sometimes in the snow or something. Their daddy walking in front of the little kid, the kid's little boy's three or four, and he's trying mm-hmm. his very best to step in his daddy's step. But the daddy has a longer stride. Right. It's hard, but that, that little boy's stride, that should be us. There's Jesus' steps. He has a longer stride. He has a better stride than we did. But we can do our very best to try to step in his steps. Absolutely. And what did he do when he saw the blind man and healed him? And what right. did he do when he saw the lepers and did what he could? We, we can't heal people like that, but we can sure help them out. Absolutely. Sure help them out. That was what I was looking for right there. Because I, I think that some people might look at Christianity and say it's impossible. And, and you say, well, you just got to do like Jesus did. Well, that makes it even harder. That's even tougher. But sort of following those steps there uh, is, what we, uh, is, is how we would do it. All right. Now, you might say, well, these first four verses here that, and that read, where's this coming from? This is, this, is, this is tough. Well, let's look at verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Sometimes kids would say, we never even talked about this. That was the worst thing as a teacher, right? Because you're like, wait, no, we, we did. I can just, we covered this on Tuesday, about the first third of the class. That's right here, okay? Sometimes they'll say, you don't know the answer. Where's this coming from? I don't know what this is. John is saying in verse 7, this is not a new commandment. He says it's a what commandment? It's an old commandment. You've had this from when? So if you've had this from the beginning, what should you have always been doing from the beginning? You should have been practicing this commandment. Now, does that mean uh, too late now? Is that, what, is that what he's saying? No, he said, you're not, I'm not teaching you anything. Sometimes that's the best thing to hear. We've got a test on Friday. Ooh, that's going to be tough. But it's nothing, we're not covering anything new. Oh, that's good. I've, already, I've got this. I already know this. I should be good. He said, we're not giving you anything new. How does that work for us today? 
How does verse 7, how would verse 7, how should verse 7 comfort us today? Because there's nothing there that we can look back and see, okay, the Jews, they, they struggled with this too. They had problems with that too, but yet they still come through. And we can take confidence in that God and <clears throat> see his patience and long suffering with them, and we know he will do us the same. Absolutely. Never too late. Never too late. And sometimes that's what we think. That it can be that it, it is too late. You know, it, it's never too late. I spent the first three weeks, well really a lot of the time, but really the first three weeks of May calling students every single day who were seniors who needed a certain amount of credits in order to graduate. And I was calling them saying, I need you to do this. I need you, we, you got to do this. You know, you're six, you, you, they would do these credits online. I mean, I'm calling them saying, I need you to do this. And some of them was like, oh, well, I'll try and work on it tonight. It's like, I feel like I'm caring about this more than you are. But I called a kid who I, I hate, whatever, I had really no interactions with him that really seemed like anything positive was coming. But I called him and I said, I need you to do, the, you've got these three things. I've been telling you about this forever. He called, he, he was working on them. I, I left, went home for the night. <clears throat> the next day I come back, I got a message on my phone. I, think I, I answered, I, I checked the message. He said, this, is, this was his name. He said, can you call me? Gave me his phone number. Okay, I'll call him. Because I'm thinking, you know, something's wrong, something's tore up, something's not right. So I call him. He said, hey, Mr. Hopkins. He said, thanks for helping me. I finished those classes. It made me feel good. Because even though I had been talking about this for nine months with him, he finally did it. Wasn't too late. He, for a long time, he's like, I can't get done. I can't do it. And he realized it wasn't too late. Now, how does that reflect on us? How should we use that same kind of thought process as Christians? Well, I'm already doing what God wants me to do. Sure, fine. But what do I need to do with other people who aren't? Like Josh said, throw the stones and just say, bad, bad, bad. Is that the approach we need to take? Yeah, no, I've taken tests before in my life. And, and it is. There will be a couple of things that pop up on the test that I don't have a clue what they're mm-hmm. talking about. And you know what? Because I wasn't there. Right. Your best students, I guarantee you, that the valedictorians that get that school didn't miss very many days of school. Right. Very few. And that don't mean you can't miss some, but they didn't miss many because they were interested in learning, and that's what Christians need. I'm interested in learning. I'm interested in what Christ, how can I do it? I can study about Christ, and I can read about Christ, and I can practice Absolutely. what Christ taught me. Let me ask you a question. If your attitude is your first thought is to throw the stones, and the love is not perfect. Right. Because the only To not to. So if your if your first inclination is to throw the stones, then you need to re-examine yourself. Absolutely. And I think that's you know, John Josh is telling us a story about a comedian, but the truth is it is absolutely in that. 
you know that the you know the approach was completely backwards in how to and uh, how to go about it. Going back to what you said about this being an old command, people not really realizing it. At work, I see it all the time. We have every month we have certain safety policies or practices or whatever we have to go back and agree. And some of them are a little test on them. And probably out of the six or seven guys that work around me. I know about five or six of them are going to call me. Hey, what's the answer to this? What's the answer to that? Is there a test after this? Because if right. it's not a test, then they're not going to read it. I ain't looking at it. They're going to show the time for it. We hit the next, 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 <laughs> next slide. Or if there's answers, they're not going to sit there and just going to call me. They've read it at one time, but after years and years of doing it, they just have no interest in reading it, and so they just, just put it on cruise control. Right. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do with the Bible. Right. They'll read it maybe once or twice, and they're like, well, I don't know what it says. And if we got a question, I'll ask the preacher. Mm -hmm. I'll ask this person or that person, and they never put the time in it to studying it, finding out for themselves, and committing it really not just to memory but to heart. That's why I wanted to reference those that verse in Matthew, that, that reading in Matthew, that reading in Mark, and that reading in Luke. Although the Luke one is much smaller, is because when we say what commandment should we keep, well, a lot of people, you know, well, love, but then somebody says why, and I don't know. You know, that's an example. Then you're exactly right. I, can't, I know the answer, but I can't give you any details about it. And a lot of times with Christianity, you know, we, we know the answer because, like you said, the preacher said it out loud up there. or They talked about it one time. I read that years ago. But being able to sort of refer back to, to go back and say, like, where did God say that? And that doesn't mean we have to be, you know, Ben, what does, you know, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 7 say right now? Say like, you know, we don't necessarily have to do that. That's almost impossible. And people's memories aren't, that aren't near as good to be able to do something like that. But the ability to be able to say, we've studied that, we've looked at that, we can refer back to that. That's why, you know, our study of the Bible is important. Let's go to verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, in you, excuse me, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We've spent the last couple of times talking about light and dark, right? Light is what? What is light? Good, we can see, right? What's darkness? Can't see, okay? We talked about choosing the right paths. I think that was Wednesday night. And when you take the step off the wrong path, you know, you can come back, but the worst thing you can do when you take the wrong step is to take three or four more wrong steps because then the good path is sort of disappearing. You're getting farther and farther away. So <clears throat> the darkness in verse 8 says is passing away. What is that? What does that mean? The darkness is passing away. The light is coming to the world. It's growing and spreading. It's, it's pushing away the back of the dark. Absolutely. Christians should have left the darkness, right? The light pushes out darkness. Your bedroom, when you wake up, is dark. But when you flip the light on, what does it do to the darkness? Scatters it. It pushes it away. I ask you the question, can light and dark exist in the same place? It can't. It can't because when you turn the lights on, no matter what it is, I think I, I said a cigarette lighter. If you hit a cigarette lighter, you know, light is, it may not be bright, it may not be bright, it Lighting light that spot right there. That darkness in that spot has gone away. So yeah, Ben, you're exactly right in your answer right there. That let, darkness is being pushed away. Let's go on to verse 9. Verse 9 says, He who says he is in the light, which is what we want to do, 
He who says he's in the light, but then, as we said at the beginning, hates his brother is what? Is in darkness until now. Okay? So what's that tell us there? We already kind of answered this, but we'll repeat it. What's it saying? I'm sorry? You're still in the dark. So what are you... That's not what it said at the first, right? It said, he who says he's in the light. So I'm telling you I'm in the light, but you're telling me what? I'm wrong. What's the what? What's holding me up? What's I'm thinking I'm in the light, but you're I'm clearly not. What's holding me up right there in verse nine? Lack of love. Still hate for my brother. Does I, I have a sister. I don't have a brother, so I'm I'm free from that, right? Is that what it means? So it means it means you all, my brothers in Christ, right? No. Well, then what does it mean then? All of God's creation. Well, you know, that, that, that it's harder, right? Because it gets bigger. It's easy to like a handful. It gets bigger. It gets a little tougher. And it says, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. You know, a lot of us foolish us too with that word hate. Mm-hmm. Hate don't mean to know, to want to see and hurt or die or anything else. It just simply means to love less. Yeah. Really, I have no interest in their salvation, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, if you were to ask, how many people do you hate? Be tough, right? I, mean, yeah, I don't really hate anybody. You know, maybe somebody who did something. You know, I was in seventh grade and they threw a rock and hit me. I hate that guy. You know, that's not what hate. That's not what I'm talking about. If we make a list of who we hate, it's going to be pretty small. How many people do we not like? Ooh, there's a few people on there, right? All right. And well, then, then walking in the light, I think about intermediate life. If somebody, you went to the store at Walmart after church today and you want to buy a light because you needed to go in this dark cave. And the guy said, now listen to this. Light's guaranteed it'll work 10% of the time. 10% of the time, you can have a bit of trouble. It works perfect. But now, so you would hate that, okay? You would hate that light. You would not buy that light under any circumstance. Sure. That light can't be in a Now, that's what we are sometimes with our love. It's in a Well, I'm lucky. I'm in a good mood today. So, really, right. Sins, but tomorrow I'm mad because the mailman did something wrong. Sure. And I'm mad. You know, right. So, that's, I think a lot of times we yo-yo around like that. You know, we pretend to be Christians on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, maybe but then Thursday, which is a Monday morning, which is a bad mood. Sure. So we hate our co-workers and all that stuff. We have to be careful that because our lives are intermittent, it's not true love. So until now, in person, there's constant opportunity for change. Sure. Absolutely. Until now means that there's still an opportunity for change. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. What does the word abide mean? Lives in. Sometimes you'll, sometimes you'll hear your house referred to as an abode. Right? Abide, abode, it's the, the, what you live in. So he who loves his brother abides in the light. Dad talked about an intermittent light, a light that works sometimes but not all the time. Well, that light, it'll help you today, but it won't help you t- tomorrow. Whenever I was in college, I took a, I had a uh, map making course, and we had to actually make maps. And there was a flat table that we all had our own table. It had a light that came on underneath. It kind of shined up through. And that allowed you to draw and you could see. Well, if you went to your, and our professor told us, he said, if you go to the lab and the light doesn't work, call me. Because the reason he said call me is he said, you cannot do your project without this light. 
And you, I mean, you all, otherwise, you've just got a table like this. Stay at home, good at the kitchen table. But this kitchen table would not, it's not what you needed for cartography. So you have to call him. Well, mine never was out, but I know sometimes people did. You had to have that light. Your, your, your project had to live in that light. Because the minute that light went away, your project was hopeless. You couldn't do it. In verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. If I'm loving my brother, where am I living? In the light. I'm not stepping in and out. The light's not coming off and on. Good, bad, in, out. Maybe works, maybe doesn't. I am abiding in. I am living in the light. But here's the best part. Not that I'm living in the light. Comma, what's the second part of verse 10 says? Very good. There's no cause for stumbling in him. So if I'm living in that light, I can see I'm not going to make a mistake. I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to step up. Am I going to be perfect if I'm spending all my time in the light? No. But that stumble means is in a sense of choice. And I'm not going to look at them and say, I don't want to help. I have no desire to help. I'm not going to stumble because I'm living in that light. It's shining, showing everything, Josh. We struggle with it though, because that it's, it's all it's all clumped up together. You know, it, it's all clumped up together. Let's finish. We've got a minute or two, but let's look at verse eleven. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, if you hate people, does that mean you physically are blind? What's the blindness right there? Say it again. It's your heart, okay? It's your heart right there. He who hates his brother is in darkness. So by hating him, I'm in the darkness. And then I'm walking in the darkness as it goes on a little bit further. And I don't know where I'm going, which is the most difficult thing, right? Anybody ever not know where you're going? I don't know where I am going right now. It feels like GPS has maybe helped that uh, a little bit. But uh, if you don't know where you're going, there's been times when, you know, you sit, especially when you're younger, you say, well, I'm going to a friend's house. And where do they live? Ah, this road. And then you're looking like what kind of vehicle they have. You know, you're trying to look. You're driving off the road. It's difficult, right? You don't know where you are going. Does not where he's going. And the verse 11 finishes because the darkness has done what to us? If we spend enough time in darkness, what will happen to our eyesight? If we spend enough time as a Christian, professed Christian in darkness, what will happen to our Christianity? Not only will it make your eyesight weaker, but it will make you hate the light. If you spend a lot of time in darkness, then you come out in the light. The light hurts, and you want to go back in the darkness. Absolutely. You feel that pain, that's the same way. If we practice walking in the dark and worrying long enough, we'll come to hate the Bible. You're exact. When you come out of Mammoth Cave, it's hard. It's just the, and then you've been, you've you've spent twenty four hours in the dark, in the light. You may go in the cave for thirty minutes, but when you come out, you know it's, it's, your pupils are mixed up. Everything's wrong. I'd rather just go back in the cave. It's cooler. I can see better in the cave. 
Well, it's not true, but you sort of get adjusted to that. And our oh, life in sin sort of is the same way. Yes. Disagree with you socially or something like that. Uh, and well, no, I don't have a problem. You know, somebody else that 